Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. I'm just going to take us through the Bible reading for today before um, Train comes up to deliver the message. And so we're reading from 3 John, uh, which is very near to the end of the Bible, on page 1905. We will be reading the whole book, which won't take very long, don't worry. (laughs) Starting at verse 1. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You would do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Thanks, Ellen. How are we doing? We doing all right? Hi. Great, right, that's like a C minus intro like that. Thank you guys, thanks. I feel very welcome to the moment. That's fine, that's fine. I know I'm not as charismatic as Simon, but I know, please, no, that's fine. I'm going um, to be, just full disclosure, I am going to be pretty tired to my notes today. I'm pretty tired. Um, I had a week of COVID, so, <laughs> um, but I'm feeling okay. Like, I'm not symptomatic, I'm just pretty tired. But yeah, if I'm just keeping looking down, that's, that's just me. Um, hi. How you doing? Um, if you're new here or not new, my name is Andrew Tran. Um, people call me Tran uh, for all various kinds of reasons, uh, but uh, I'm known as Andrew professionally. Um, I hope that if you are new here and you and you don't know me, uh, that you may feel be filled, you know, that you feel welcomed in this place. God's welcomed all of us here, and I, my prayer is that if you don't know Him. My prayer is that you meet him today as we uh, look, open, look open up his word, that we see his scriptures. And what we're actually entering now is the, t- the time in the church service that we uh, actually look, crack open the Bible and see what God has to say for his people. Um, 
Yeah, so if you've been here in the last couple of weeks, uh, you might be wondering from the Bible reading, like, this doesn't sound like 1 Timothy, Andrew. <laughs> this, this, no, you're, you're right, yeah, that's an astute observation. This is 3 John, this is completely different. Um, Jacko is away on some leave just uh, for this week, some long um, deserved leave for school holidays and stuff. Um, but have no fear, it's only 15 verses, we're not going to spend five weeks going through this one. <laughs> Uh, and, but before you, real, uh, before you start making lunch plans already, um, despite how short it is, there is, it has a lot to say to us. Um, now before we get into the word today, I'm going to do the most jacko thing you could do in a sermon. I'm going to get you to turn to your neighbor, talk, turn, turn to the person next to you, and ask them, what's the most lavish thing that has ever happened to you when you've gone to a stranger's home? What's the most lavish thing that has happened to you when you've entered a stranger's home. We'll come back in 45.67 seconds. Go. <laughs> yeah. And then it, it's just making some sounds. Yeah, you. making the sounds, yeah. yeah Better? Yeah, that's yeah. Really good yeah, yeah, sick, sick, sick. So? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's bring it back, folks. All right. This isn't, this isn't a game of like trying to up each other, but that's just lavish things. Lavish things that's happened to you when you've been gone to the stranger's home. Anyone? Anyone? I had a tomahawk steak cooked for me. Ooh, that's pretty good. That's pretty exy. I like that. Who's, who's that friend? <laughs> okay, your secret. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, anyone else? That's so lavish. That's really nice. This is before kids as well. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Ellen is not that demanding, I promise. <laughs> anyone else? Any other lavishness? Carl heard you had something. Aston Martin DB7, that's pretty lavish. <laughs> cool. Um, you may, um, uh, you know, that question may or may not have anything to do with our sermon today, as Jacka would say. Um, why don't I pray and ask that, ask that um, God open, us, open our eyes to what he has for us today. Um, why don't you pray with me? Uh, thank you, Father, for your word. We pray, thank you for that it is um, living and breathing and active. Um, thank you that it is useful for teaching rebuking and correcting and teaching in all of righteousness. Uh, I pray that you we help consider, as we consider this text today, help us to encounter you. I pray, Spirit, that you do a work within us, that you soften our hearts, open our eyes, unstick our deaf ears, and just reveal the blind spots in our lives. 
Help us to uh, want to become more like you. Help us become more like you, Jesus. I pray uh, today, that, Lord, that, you, um, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, since we're looking at 3 John today, uh, we need to understand what this kind of book in the Bible is. It's only 200-ish words or so, but um, you might guess from this reading that, you know, it's actually, it's a letter. Um, but the temptation when we read letters, I don't know about you, but certainly for me when I was uh, a bit younger in my faith as well, when we read letters in the Bible, we just take the words and we directly apply them to our lives. That's, that's we just take it into our own situation. Um, however, unlike like many other letters in the Bible, that's not how we really should approach them. Uh, rather, I think of it as reading someone's mail. Um, true story. I've been getting this. I've been getting these bank statements <laughs> from the guy who used to live at my place for the last two years, and he has not. I've replied. I've sent each and every one of them back. And he's still not changed his address. <laughs> and I've been tempted, you know. Has anyone had that feeling? You know, I've just, what if I just opened it? No, no one's going to know. No one's going to know, right? Um, clearly, he doesn't miss him. So, curious, I was just curious, like, if I was to hypothetically open one up, um, you know, I'd, 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 I can, if I read through the line, in between the lines of his, of his uh, bank statement, I can kind of figure out what kind of a character am I dealing with here? What kind of situation is he in? How much is he paying for his rent? What kind of things is he buying? That kind of stuff. And it's the same kind of deal when you deal with all the letters of the Bible, but especially 3 John. Because when you read it, we don't fully know some of the characters in it, but we have to kind of read in between the lines a little bit to build the scenario. Um, and this is especially true because John, 3 John is not just written to a church. It's written to an individual named Gaius. Now, you may have noticed in our reading that this sounds more like a personal memo. And you might be wondering, how does a personal memo, how does that affect me? How does that affect my life? It sounds like this, this memo is really airing the, the dirty laundry of a church. Now, before, let's just set the scene here. I want you to cast your minds back to first century AD. For context, the death and resurrection of Jesus it happens in about 33 AD. Christianity explodes and spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is across the Roman Empire. And across, these, uh, across the Roman Empire, all these communities of Christians founded by the apostles, they start popping up. And you have this thing called the Johannine community, and amongst the persecution of the Roman Empire, you have these false teachings that are of Jesus that are making the rounds in the churches in, in, the ancient, in the ancient world. Now, I want you to have this in mind when we're unpacking this text today. Uh, but let's, let's just jump right into it. Verse 1. It says here, The elder to my friend, to my dear friend Gaius, who I love in truth. Now, straight off, we can see it's from the elder, right? We can deduce from John's other letters that it's most likely from the Apostle John. It's probably written around 90s, like turn of the century, first century. Um, and it's likely written to the churches in Ephesus in around 
the Asian, the, the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is like modern day Western kind of Turkey. Now, likely 3 John was written around the, other, the same time as the other letters of John because they have really, really similar themes. You can also see that John is writing to this guy named Gaius. Um, and again, as I said before, uh, unlike 1 and, one and 2 John, which were written to people, uh, written to a group of people. This is written specifically to a, a singular dude. Now, I'm sure that you've had text messages or, or to or from people that uh, you've, you've ranted even longer than this, right? And, but you get the sense that Gaius is some sort of leader. He's got some sort of influence in this church, in this house church. But honestly, we don't know much about him. Um, Gaius is a common name in the Greek, and so it's unlikely that it's the Gaius mentioned in Acts. So it's just some random dude. But notice the relationship between John the Elder and Gaius. John may be his elder, for sure. His spiritual elder, his phys- men- like mentor. But John calls him dear friend. And notice that the basis of the love of this friendship isn't that they supported Collingwood in the AFL Grand Final, or that they voted the same in the referendum, or that they both enjoy fishing or sailing. What's the basis of the relationship? It's the truth. To the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, if you know John's writings, John is obsessed with what is true. He's obsessed with what is true. It makes sense because John is fighting to proclaim the truth in his other letters. John uses the term the truth a lot in his writings, and depending on what context, it often refers to several different things that can mean faith in Jesus, but it also refers to what is real, what is reality. And the thing about the truth is that since it is real, it has implications, it must be acted on, that must be acted on. As we keep breaking down this letter, you'll see that how much John leans into this idea of the truth. Let's keep going on verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. As part of John's opening pleasantries, you can already tell that guys, he's, you know, he's doing something right. You can see that John is, John's already heard that Gaius is spiritually well, and now John is praying that Gaius' physical health is going to go similarly well. A small caveat here, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the text is not saying that we can just claim that we can use this passage as God wanting us to be happy and healthy. Literally, it's just the letter saying, this part of the letter is just saying, hey man, I hope you're doing physically well, because I heard you're doing spiritually well, man. That's all John's saying here. And this is important to note because it sets up verses 3 and 4 and makes it clear why Gaius is doing well in his faith. Verses 3 and 4 say this. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my, that my children are walking in the truth. I really want to focus for a second on this idea of faithfulness to the truth. Presumably, John has heard of Gaius' faithfulness to the, gospel, to the gospel message because he has believers telling him about it. 
But this faithfulness isn't just some mere intellectual adherence to a message. No, John's not saying, you know, you recite all the doctrine, the right doctrines, and that warms our little cotton socks. He's not saying that at all. Now, why is John chuffed here? Because he's heard from other Christians that Gaius is continuing to what? Live out his faith. Gaius isn't idly just sitting in the truth, but he's walking in it. He's participating in it. He's actively moving in it. Faith isn't merely lip service for Gaius, but it's moved from his head to his heart to his hands. This opening few lines really sets up the tone for John's main exhortation here. And that's in, this, in these particular verses here in 5 to 8. It says this, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Now, we don't know exactly what the specifics are of the faithful things that Gaius has been up to for these brothers and sisters here in verse 5. But we do know what that whatever this thing is, it was out of Gaius' love for them. And that's why he did it, out of love. And who exactly are these strangers? Well, we know that they're people of the same faith, but they're unknown to Gaius. Verse 7 tells us they've gone out for the sake of the name. So it's very possible that these guys were some sort of missionary team or preachers or evangelists. And if you read John's other letters, this makes total sense because there's a lot of false teaching that's going on around the place. Sorts of fake news about, being, about Jesus not being human, some sort of Gnostic hoo-ha heresies infecting the church. It's entirely plausible that John has sent out these preachers to correct this. But even if this isn't the case, these missionary teams, these preachers, these evangelists would have needed a place to stay. They would have needed food, shelter, money, And for the sake of the gospel message, when they preached to the Gentiles, the people that weren't Jews already, they refused to take their money so it wouldn't hinder their message. Now, it's no wonder that John encourages guys to send them out on their way that is in a manner worthy of God because these brothers and sisters were living off the generosity of the Christian church because they materially had nothing. When we can see that John has heard of all of Gaius' doing already, and he's doing this for Christians he doesn't even know. Now, yeah, put yourself in Gaius' shoes. Can you imagine inviting another Christian in your home? You have no idea who this other Christian is, but you know they're a Christian. You feed them a nice tomahawk steak, let them sleep on your bed while you sleep on the floor, If they're sick, you mend them to health. Then you send them off with a portion of the savings that you have under the pillow that you've been saving on for a long time. This is what probably Gaius's this is what probably what Gaius's love looked like. John's exhortation to Gaius continues to sorry. 
John's exhortation to Gaius to continue to honor these guys by being supportive and generous to them. Uh, this is what John's exhortation is to them. And he tells them by, by doing so, they are actually taking part in the mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God. But sadly, as much as there is encouragement for Gaius here to continue to, in his generosity and his hospitality, not all is well in his local church. We see this in verses 9 to 10. Verses 9 to 10 say this. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. And also, no, he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Now, we don't know much about this good old Diotrephes kind of character, but it sounds like, again, he's some sort of guy in leadership or he has some sort of power and influence in the, in the church. And according to John, Diotrephes is a little difficult to deal with. He's a bit of a handful. Firstly, he's putting himself first. He's dismissing and ragging out John the Elder. And on top of that, he's not being hospitable to these traveling ministry workers. He kicks out people in his own church who wants to support them. Now, we don't know the motivations of Diotrephes or I mean, although there were heresies being touted, if it was a heretical issue, like a theological issue, you would expect some corrective teaching in this letter. One theory is that Diotrephes was vying for power and he didn't like being under the authority of John. And another theory says that there was bad blood between John and Diotrephes and due to some communication issues. Whatever the reason. Is this how a Christian is to behave? Is this how a person who claims the name of Christ is to behave? doesn't sound very Christ-like at all, does it? Especially when you consider Christ being the one who proclaimed in the kingdom of God that the first will be last and the last will be first. John's probably thinking, dude, we're on the same team. What are you doing, bro? It's no wonder John says what he does in verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The difference between Gaius and Diotrephes could not be any more stark here, friends. Clearly, John is contrasting for Gaius what to do and what not to do here. However, it's tempting to, to, when we read this verse, all we see is a command to Gaius, and that's the command for us, and that command is this. You know what? It's pretty simple. Just do good. Don't do evil. That's, right? That's, that's, that's Christianity, right? easy peasy Christianity. Just do good, don't do evil. That's easy, right? But Christianity isn't the only, only religion that quote-unquote says that. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, they probably all say that, right? Heck, even atheists, agnostics, and secular humans, they, they'd say that. Do good, don't do evil. That's, a, that's kind of like a no-brainer trend, right? <laughs> Not only that, but to leave it there simply as that command alone, we'll leave it to some sort of some sort of legalistic moral teaching. Well, the second verse of this actually clears this up quite significantly. I'll read it again for verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does good, anyone who does 
what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Now on the face value of this, in, the, in this next half of verse 11, it could be a bit confusing. Anyone who does what is good is from God? Are you saying, Andrew, that anyone, is, if, they're, if, they're, if, they're good, if they're good enough, that's to say that God approves you? Is that, is that what it's saying? Well, not, not, not actually. When we read this, we have to keep in mind that it's one of those scenarios that you know, all Christians must do good, but not all people who do good are Christians. Does that, does that make sense? All, all Christians must do good, but not all who do good are Christians. If you're here today, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you're here today, you know that you, we know that our standing between us and God isn't not, isn't not dependent on how good we are. It is wholly dependent on the righteous standing that's afforded to us by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Because he lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserved. He was raised to death, from death to life, so that you will too. And he's given you perfect standing before God. That can never be taken away from us, friends. That's an unshakable truth that we must take our lives on. But just because someone claims to be a Christian, just because we maybe have grown up in a Christian home and we kind of know about Christian ethics and we, we, we say we're Christian, doesn't necessarily mean we are one. What John is really actually saying here is that if you're really a Christian, one of the markers is that you are changed and you are marked by, quote-unquote, doing good. It's kind of like, as a physio, like I work as a physio. I go to Bible college as well, but I work part-time as a physio. And um, I have this thing called subjective examination and objective examination. So when you come in, um, subjective examination is like, okay, what's your problem? And patients often tell me, uh, don't often tell me, you know, I have pain here, I have pain here, I have pain here. They tell me, oh, I have, I have tennis elbow. And I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I didn't know Google was giving out PhDs, but that's fine, you know. And I'm like, how do you, how do you know it's tennis elbow? It's like, oh, because I just know it's tennis elbow. Okay, cool, cool, fine. So I ask them a bunch more questions to find out their history and all that kind of stuff. And that's my subjective examination. Now, objective examination comes around. That's when you really find out what's going on in terms of structurally. I uh, check for range of motion, I check for grip strength, I check for repetitive m motions and load up the muscles in different positions, palpate joints for tenderness, that kind of stuff. And if I ever need an absolutely confirmation, like confirmation diagnosis, I can always get an ultrasound for that kind of stuff. Um, and it should come back with something called extensor tendinopathy or lateral epicondylitis, right? So I do these tests to objectively find out if they have something they claim to have. These tests are to objectively find out that they have something that they claim to have. Now, I'm not sure if you've read 1 John, but when John says anyone who does what is good is from God, he's referring from 1 John here. It's a different letter. But John uses this letter, this, no, this language quite a bit. And he uses, he's taking this objective thing about, he's talking about the objective markers that indicate that you are a born agreed Christian, that you know God. He's talking about these outward markers of an inward reality. And John calls these markers of goodness as people who are, quote-unquote, from God. 
or have who, those who have seen God. John Stott puts it much more eloquently this way. He says this, to do good is to give evidence of divine birth. <coughs> Sorry. So the whole point of verse 11 here is to encourage Gaius and by proxy us. That is, that Jesus, that because Jesus has saved you from your sin and that Jesus has reconciled you to God, you are now to give evidence of that, of your salvation by being like him, by being good. In particular, do good to those who are also your brothers and sisters in Christ. And John gives us an example in verse 12. <clears throat> Verse 4 says this, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. And we also speak well of him and you know our testimony is true. <coughs> Again, we don't know who this Demetrius is and it's speculative as to whether this, he was the messenger that came with his letter but regardless of who he was, here we have John commending this Demetrius character who presumably, again, is unknown to Gaius, not on the basis of who he claimed to be, but because his life proved so. And this was proved through other people, this was proved through his actions, through the truth itself, and through John's testimony about him. John's saying, this guy is trustworthy, this guy is solid, you know, you should be like this guy. And then John finally wraps up his personal note, verses 13 to 15. Says this, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Now, you can, when you read this, we can hear an urgency in John's voice here that he longs to be with them. But it's not only John, it's his friends. It's the friends. And again, we don't know who they are, but they're asking to greet Gaius' friends, each individually. You know, this, this particular ending here might just sound like an ending, but it actually speaks to the sincerity of the love that Gaius has for the community and that John has for Gaius and his community. It's not merely some sort of generic passing love or affinity. It's this, but it's rather, it's this genuine, heartfelt, personal longing for individual people. Now, hearing this personal note from John the guys, now what do we, what do we, what do we do with it? We've kind of unpacked it a little bit. Now, what does that leave us? How does it, what, how does it, where does that leave us with? What does that leave us with? I'm going to leave you with two applications, kind of like a minor one, and then a major one here. And the minor application from three John here is to support the mission. Now, I think it's pretty obvious here that mission needs resources, right? God, yes, God will provide for his mission. God will complete his mission. God will, Christ will build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, right? But God has not just invited us, but he's enlisted us, all of us, to be part of his mission, all of us. And you know what? He's given us the agency and the choice to contribute what is needed for that mission, it's through our choices, through us, that God will complete his mission. You know what, plan A, when, when God was, plan A in terms of salvation is Jesus comes to the world and saves the world and spreads his kingdom through us, 
you look around. <laughs> look, look around. Actually, look around at other people right now. Like, you are plan A. There is no plan B, man. Like, this is us. This is it. This is God. God there is no plan A, B. This is it. We might not be like Christians in the first century, but we don't have missionaries coming to our doorstep and sleeping on our beds. Well, maybe you do, but, um, but certainly we have the capacity to resource the kingdom of God and this proclamation. Now, if you're new here or you've had a poor church experience in the past and you might be thinking like, oh, is this, is this, is he going to talk about money now? <laughs> Classic church. This is all they do, man. They always, they, they just talk about money. And I'm not going to lie to you, like in a simplified, oversimplified, reductionistic kind of way, yes, God wants your money. But there's a good reason for that. There are many ways you could resource the mission of the global church. One way is through this particular church. When you give a tithe to this church, yes, it goes to paying for the gospel work that happens here, but a small chunk of it also goes to Acts 29. It's, it's a church planning network that we're a part of, and it goes towards church planning efforts that are especially around Asia Pacific at the moment, such as places like Japan, where it's one of the most unreached people groups in the world per cap, by capita. I mean, you could also donate to something like Open Doors, which is a, um, an organization that exists to support the most persecuted Christians across the world. Think of the Middle East right now. It's, they support pastors by paying for discipleship training, for Bibles, for providing socioeconomic support. Uh, we, you could uh, support the mission by giving to Compassion. We, we partner with Com- Compassion here as, as a church community where we support churches in the Philippines to lift people out of physical poverty but also out of whole communities out of spiritual poverty. Or you could even participate in something like Green Team, which is a mission opportunity in our very own backyard. Don't even need to go overseas for this. You can help by volunteering. Yes, we absolutely need you. Uh, but also you could don't, like you can participate by um, we, financially um, because we need we need money for engagement opportunities and you can partner in the mission by providing for those gospel connections for our church volunteers. Alternatively, you could even you could even support our volunteers going here. I could go on and on and on. So yes, God wants your money, but if you think that if you think that's all that God deserves i want to think about that again like i can see for us yes times are tough inflation's at six percent macroeconomics aren't great there's a brew that's a brewing war in the middle east and fuel and commodities are going to go up again but let's be honest if we're completely frank here the, the overwhelming majority of us live middle to middle upper class kind of lives and giving money at the end of the day, is a mild to moderate inconvenience. To support the mission, God wants your money, yes, but more importantly, what God wants is probably your time. God wants our time. And I'm aware that we are in a time poor culture. Like, people say, like, I, I, I don't have time for that, Andrew. I got, I've got, I got bills to pay, I've got other things to do, I've got, I got kids, I've got, I got uh, like, uh, other commitments. I, I understand that, absolutely. But I want to just give you a friendly challenge. Like, maybe look at your monthly screen time and just see what happens there. <laughs> I certainly know. And, and like, this is not me trying to rag out anyone in particular here. I'm completely 100% complicit in this as well. 
I just wanted to take, like, a take stock on how much are we actually spending on overindulgences and uh, making things, prioritizing things that aren't really critical and, ma and, and, and making them critical. I'm preaching to myself here too, so just something to take stock. Which, this leads me to my major application, really, then. If God wants our time, the major application is that we have to love God's people. And this application sounds straightforward. It sounds obvious. And though it is encouraged strongly by John, almost like a command, loving God's people is meant to be an expression and an overflow of who we are now. Who we are now in Christ. Remember John's relationship with Gaius in verse 1? It's based on them being rooted in the truth. As Christians, especially if you belong to a church body like this, our tendency is to relate to people that look like us, talk like us, sound like us, dare say smell like us. It's easy to connect with people, you know, who have the same interests. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing inherently wrong with it at all. But if our relationships in the body of Christ are only that, and it's not, and Jesus isn't ultimately foundational. Well, you won't, you won't, we're kind of treating church like a, like a social club or a sporting club or an F45 or something. Again, like guys, we need to walk, walk, participate, actively move in the truth. Yes, we need to absolutely love God with all our mind and our heart. And yes, Christianity is highly intellectual, but faith, my friends, is dead without works. Christianity is an actionable faith. Love is something that's not merely felt, but it is something that must be done to others. And remember how Gaius served and loved Christian strangers? How much more should we love our brothers and sisters here that we see each and every week, week in, week out? It's ironic that John finishes the letter with greet the friends each by name. I'm like, I'm just wondering, and this is, again, not a guilt trip, but do we know people by name here? Or do we just see them walk in, walk out each week and, hey, how you doing? See you later. And we don't make much effort to love them. Uh, ask yourself, what would it look like for you? No, what would it look like for us, us as Sidlite North Adelaide, to love each other deeply, tangibly, even if we don't know each other. I'm not saying that you need to be best buddies with everyone. That's not feasible, not impossible. But if we were to tangibly love each other as Christians, and if we were to, love, if we were to tangibly love the other Christians that God has placed in our immediate church body, what would that look like? I'm confident that it's beyond the Adelaide, Adelaide niceties and we're just here to talk about weather and sports, right? And yes, one of the ways you can do this is through discipleship group, but it's more than that. Ultimately, the thing that God is after is a posture of the heart. What are, what's our heart like towards us, guys? And as Christians, our hearts and minds are, need to be radically transformed by the love of Jesus. And so we need to put off the old self and we need, because the old self has died and we need to put on that new self that God has given us. Now imagine for many of us, 
what I'm saying here is it shouldn't be revolutionary. This is not something we, 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 we don't know. We like, most of us know this already. But I also know that like, like working out in the gym, working out your faith is, is hard, right? And sometimes I don't want to go to the gym because <laughs> it's hard work. How great would it be if expressing love was, you know, it just came naturally, it just came easy? No doubt for some of us, you're, you're probably more holy than me, right? It would come a bit more naturally. And you know what? I, I, I long to be like you. But for, I think for many of us, if, we're, if we just take a step back and, and, and just take stock, if my observation in, in, of just churches not here, but not just here, but just, just generally across the country, I suspect that many of us struggle with this. And in one sense, I hear you. We want community to happen that's organic, because if I try hard, it's not authentic. But it, let me just argue for, the, for a second, you know? Like, in what world do we work, in what world do we have relationships that we don't have to work at? I can tell you, if I didn't work at my marriage, <laughs> I don't think, and I just wanted things to be quote-unquote authentic, I don't think I'd have a marriage left. <laughs> Church people are hard, and as ch- you know, and, and as City Light North End, as a church that we want to see more people become more like Jesus from all nations, that's going to be hard work, friends. We all have problems. We all have cultural differences. We all have language challenges, and some of us are really awkward. I'm mega awkward. <laughs> Ask my wife, which is not here today, thank goodness. But yeah. It's going to take effort to love others meaningfully well. And it might cost you time, energy, maybe even money. Or maybe you're in the spot where, you know, you've come to church and you want to love God's people, but man, you feel burnt from your church experiences or you feel depleted. I don't want to. And like, you just want to be comforted and stick to yourself. You know, you know what? I understand that tendency. I totally understand that. But as natural as it is to stick to ourselves, God doesn't want us to lean into the natural. God wants us to lean into Christ. That God loves us so much that God gave his son for us. And since we now have the greatest love in the world, we're now able to love each other like that. And I'm not saying this to just, you know, I'm not saying this to you, get over yourself and love the stranger. That's not, not, don't hear me saying that. No, but what I am trying to say is that when we walk in the truth, when we actively participate in the faith, when we know that we belong to God, it's only out of that place that we can love his people. We only love because he first loved us. Isn't that right? Christ is the first and only starting point in all of this. So as we finish up with God's word today, let us not just consider who to love here or how to love people. Let's not just consider how to help mission and support mission or consider the cost of what it is to love God's people. But what we need to really walk out of here really considering is how much we've been loved so lavishly by God in order that we would do the same for others. Can we do that? Let's do that. Let's, let's ask God to help us with that, and let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you that he is the invisible God. Yeah, that you are, sorry, we thank you that he is the visible image of the invisible God. That we, when we look at Jesus, we see him and we know him. That we, when we, we see him and know him, we see and know you. Father, I pray that you impress on us what it means to be loved by Jesus. Impress on us the height, the width, the depth and love that you have for us through him. That that impression transform us into your son, into the image of your son. I pray, Spirit, that you do a work in us, that you help us overcome our selfishness and our selfish indulgences. We admit at times that we have all walked according to the that we have um, we have walked uh, we have not walked according to the truth that we proclaim. But I pray that you give us strength put off the old self and clothe ourselves with the new self. Help us, give up, uh, help us give up our time, our energy, and our resources for your purposes, for your kingdom, starting with this local body of believers that you brought us into. Pray, Spirit, that you help us be a people marked by generosity and hospitality, so that when people on the outside look at us, they don't see a club of people, but they ultimately see you. Lord, we love you. Help us to do all you've instructed because you've loved us so dearly and we belong to you. Help us to live our lives that are honouring to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/northadelaide.